Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Advent. We're going to look at these different lenses of who Jesus is, our hope, our peace, our joy, and our source of love. And, um, and I, I want to go ahead and put that in your, in your ear that um, our Christmas Eve service this year, we'll look at Christ and we'll just have a wonderful uh, candlelight Christmas service um, on, uh, on that night at uh, five o'clock. And then also there's a ladies gathering coming up next Sunday. You see my wife out in the lobby after if you want to talk to her about that. Advent, as we uh, jump in, let's look at the advent of hope in Isaiah 59. Paul Tripp, he says it this way, uh, the guy who was on the video earlier, he says this, I don't know if you've thought about it this or not, but you're hardwired for hope. You don't live by instinct. Every decision you make, every choice you make, every response you have to the situations and relationships of your life is fueled by and motivated by hope. Your story, the story of your life is a hope story. Your happiest moments are hope moments. Your saddest moments are about hope dashed, hope destroyed. You're always looking for hope. You're always attaching the hope of your heart to something. Now here's what hope is. Hope is always an object and an expectation. You're always hoping in something and asking that something to deliver something to you. That's what hope is. Hope is always an object and always an expectation. As we get into this thought of hope this morning, I want you to understand that if our hope is in our own ability, we are utterly hopeless. If we put our hope and our expectations in ourselves, we'll find that we will never be able to fulfill what we long for. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. In fact, we must first understand how hopeless we are before we can truly find hope. If we don't understand hopelessness, we'll never understand hope. Until you and I understand the gravity of our hopeless state in sin, we will never fully hope in a Savior. Now it's December. I don't know if you've realized that, and many of you are uh, distraught by the fact that I no longer have a beard. I've heard this. Um, but it's December, and I was thinking about Decembers, and my sister has a birthday in December. Anybody else have a December birthday? Oh, there's a ton of you. I'm sorry for you, because you get the mixed gifts. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, you know, like, you get like a combo gift. Part of it's birthday, part of it's Christmas. You know, you know it's true. Uh, so my sister, she has a birthday coming up this month, but I was remembering back to, uh, I think it was 86 or 87. Yeah, I'm that old. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are wrong with me, but I, I can pretty much tell you that uh, being raised in a single-parent home by a teenage girl in the 80s on MTV is probably some of the reasons I'm the way I am. Um, but my sister, she wanted to have a party, and at this time, my dad, he lived in Chattanooga. This is before he moved out to California, and, and uh, she wanted to have a party for her birthday. And so she invited down all these teenagers in the 80s, and they're having a party, and I'm like this, I'm like nine years old. And I'm just right there in the midst. You know, like, I want to be hanging out because I think I'm old enough. I think I'm cool. I've been watching MTV. I know what's up. And so I'm, I'm in there. And my dad, he used to be a police officer. And he had left his, uh, his, his handcuffs out. He wasn't a police officer anymore at this point. And so one of the teenage boys thought it would be hilarious 
to put the handcuffs on the little brother being myself, right? And so I'm handcuffed and I'm running around, you know, oh, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Where's the key? Uh, we didn't see a key. The, my dad was like, I, I haven't used those cuffs in years. I, I don't know where the key is. Oh, great. So then one of the teenage boys was like, all right, well, I, I saw a movie once. And he electrocuted the, the handcuffs, and they just popped off. So let's try that. That sounds like a good idea. So as a nine-year-old, I was like, yeah, let's do that. That's genius. I love movies. And uh, so, so sure enough, he gets some speaker wires, and he puts the speaker wires into the holes of the, of the handcuffs. And he's going towards the outlet with the other end of the, of the wires. And about that time, my dad walks up there and goes, what are y'all doing? I found the key. I got the key. And so I was like, oh, I was in a hopeless state until my father showed up with the key. So we don't realize how severe and how entangling sin really is. We think it's a game. We, we think it's fun. And then we realize we're shackled. And it's not until we realize that we need to call out to the Father who has the key. And the key is Jesus. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus Christ. And we have to understand how hopeless we are before we can understand how beautiful Jesus is. The hope of glory. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into Isaiah chapter 59. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you that you do break every chain. You do free us from the bondage of sin and slavery and, and even in our stubbornness and stupidity. God, you forgive us. You offer us life. You offer us light. And it's through your son, Jesus. So we worship you today. Give us understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit as we go through your word. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is we are hopeless in our misaligned hearts Isaiah chapter 59, let's take the first six verses there, and you can follow along with me. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Let's stop right there. Isaiah is addressing the fact that there is a problem. There's a major problem, and the problem is not God's inability to save. It's not that he lacks power. It's not that he lacks knowledge. The problem is at the heart of man. And the problem there is in verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. There's a problem, and the problem is that sin always separates. Sin is a liar. Sin promises you one thing, but offers you something else. 
Just like the uh, handcuffs, it, it sounds like fun at first, but then before too long, you're shackled and you're caught. It promises satisfaction and leaves us separated from our Savior. This goes all the way back to the original problem in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read it to you. I know many of you are familiar with it, but I want you to see how this all started with a misaligned heart. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. There was a separation that had never been experienced until that moment. They began to hide themselves from God. They even took fig leaves and began to sow them. Did you notice in verse 6 of Isaiah 59, it says, Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. There is nothing that you and I can do to cover the sin that is in our life. There is nothing that we can manufacture. There's nothing that we can produce that will cover us adequately. There would have to be a sacrifice. You see, there's a problem, and the problem is that we have a misaligned heart that is full of self-love, which leads to a life of hopeless disobedience. Adam and Eve, they exchanged their love of God for a love of self. And when they did that, when their hearts became misaligned with God, disobedience entered into the world. Has the love of self become so seductive and so powerful and so deceptive that it has replaced the love that you were meant to have for God. This is a question we all need to ask ourselves because the love of self is so subtle and so easy to fall into. You see, there's a problem. And self-love leads to living for yourself, trusting in yourself, and placing hope in your ability to provide something to satisfy your heart. There's a problem, and it is the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart leads us to either obedience or disobedience. Obedience is not, a systematically, is not systematically submitting to a set of rules. Obedience is an expression of our love of God. Our lives are marked by what we love most. It's either love of self or love of God. You see, there's a problem. There's a problem in the very beginning Adam and Eve began to love themselves, their wants, their desires, and what they had placed their hope in to satisfy over their love of God. There's a problem, and it's a misaligned heart. 
A misaligned heart says, my emotions are superior to yours. My wants are superior to yours. My desires are superior to yours. My ways are superior to your ways. And when we have a misaligned heart, we live, whether this is talking to someone else or talking to God, hey, my ways are better than your ways. My thoughts are better than your thoughts. My wants are more important than your wants. My life is about me and what I can get and what I can gain. A misaligned heart says to God, my love for self supersedes my love for you, and thus my actions will declare it with my disobedience. There's a problem. There's a problem, and it's at the heart of man. Verse 3 says, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. You see this, your, your, your. There's a problem, and we are the problem. We like to think that our biggest and deepest problems in life are outside of us, not inside of us. We like to blame people and blame circumstances. Well, I had to make this decision because of the situation that I'm in. Well, you'd have done the same thing if you were dealing with so-and-so. This is the problem. They're the problem. I have no other choice because of this situation, this circumstance that I find myself in. But our greatest problem is not outside of us. It's inside of us. There's a problem. And when we think that we can use external changes to fix it, we either run towards religion or rebellion. Religion says, look at all the things that I can do to make myself look good. Look at how I can take these fig leaves and how I can sew them up and how I can cover myself. And and you know it's not good enough. Rebellion, on the other hand, says, you know what? I need to change my situation because of this circumstance or this person. And really, my wants and my desires and my heart doesn't line up with God, so I'm going to do it my way. There's a problem, but there's a hope. We are hopeless in our misguided minds. Let's keep reading Isaiah 59, picking up halfway through verse 6 through, let's go to 10. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, Darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Let's stop right there. There's a problem, and it's a misaligned heart, and it's a misguided mind. Our misguided minds lead us down misguided roads. It says there that it leads down crooked paths and crooked roads. Their thoughts have made their roads crooked. In Genesis, we see that sin begins to escalate and it begins to spread. It goes from what happened in the garden to all of mankind. And in, verse, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it reads like this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. 
So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You see the part there where it says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When you think about this, you have to think that our thoughts have the potential to grieve God. Our thoughts. What have you thought today? Just because you don't gratify your thoughts physically doesn't mean they don't grieve God spiritually. Isn't that a heavy statement? Your thoughts have the ability to grieve God that's why Paul would say in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This idea of renewing your mind is the idea of repentance. Repentance is not to just say, I'm sorry. We said this a few weeks ago. It's not to just say, I'm sorry. It's not to feel bad. Repentance is to actually have a change of mind, to fully think differently about sin than you did previously. You want nothing more to do with it, but every thought and every intention of, of man's heart was wickedness all the time. Let me ask you, do you ever dwell upon acts of unrighteousness? Do you ever think of certain sins as ordinary or okay? Or have you changed your mind about the sin that's in your life that you know grieves God? See, many of us think it's no big deal to think about it. As long as I don't act on it. And we hope. We hope that everything will work out. Verse 9, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. How can we claim hope in God, light, but live in sin and darkness? Walk in gloom. This is where the problem is. There's a problem that people know the truth. They know that there's hope in the light. They know that there's a change of mind that has to happen, but their paths are misguided. They still continue to walk down the wrong road. They continue to walk in gloom. Here's the Christmas message. There's hope. John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and, throughout, and without Him not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. Jesus Christ is the light. He is the hope we have. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see, there's a problem. And the problem is there's misguided minds that lead us to live a life of accepted sin in the darkness of disobedience. Though we claim to have hope, many of us still walk in gloom. We are hopeless in our multiplied transgressions. You can't understand hope until you understand how hopeless you really are. Isaiah 59, let's pick up in verse 10 through 15. We grope for the wall like the blind. 
We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We are hopeless in our multiplied transgressions. If we rely on our good works to prove our righteousness, we have no hope. Here's what Isaiah is saying. You can line up all the good that you've ever done. And you can walk into the courtroom with God and you can say, look at all the good. It surely it outweighs the bad. But when you think about your heart, when you think about your mind, when you think about your thoughts, your transgressions are multiplying. You can never, and there's a lot of people who believe, well, when I die, I hope I have enough good that outweighs the bad so I can get to heaven, so God can accept me. You'll never have enough good to outweigh the bad. The transgressions are always multiplying. He says, we hope for justice, but there is none. We hope that it'll work out for us, but there is none. We hope for salvation, but it's far from us. Our transgressions are multiplied before us. Our sins testify against us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you and your sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. We know the sins that are in our life. And so does God. There's a problem You and I right now know how we have rebelled and denied the Lord with our hearts, our minds, and our actions. And verse 15 says this, And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. There's a problem. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If sins... And transgressions are multiplying. And you have to step into a courtroom. You will have to give an account. There's a problem. And the problem is we don't always see sin as sinful. We see it as a mistake or a flaw or as a weakness. But not always as a sin. We fail to see the severity of our sins. Many of us think that our thoughts, as long as they don't become actions are not sins. If you're a man and you're walking through the mall and you see an image uh, in a store that grabs your attention and you begin to lust and you begin to dwell upon that image and you begin to think upon that image, it's easy for men to say, well, I didn't act on it, so it's not that bad. If you're a child or a teenager and your parents tell you to do something and you decide that, no, I think I know better, I'm going to rebel. You don't always find that as a sin because you feel the, the buzz of independence. Maybe, ladies, you are caught up in a circle of gossip and you're talking about people that you are frustrated with or have a distaste for 
And you don't feel like it's sin because you're speaking with people who are like-minded. We don't always see our sin as sinful. And we don't always see how sin separates. We don't always see how severe the shackles are in our lives. We don't always see how hopeless we are. But we are hopeful. We have hope in a willing Savior. Look at this. This is beautiful. Look at what Isaiah does here. He switches. Verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render payment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives, verse 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. There is going to be a declaration as far as the east is from the west, from the coastlands to the coastlands, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He sees that there's no one that can intercede. He sees that human beings are in a hopeless state in their, in their misaligned hearts and their misguided minds and their, their multiplied transgressions. And he says, there's no one here to intercede. So I will do it with my mighty hand. The word there is... Being, speaking of him being the Messiah. You see, there's a problem, but there's a hope. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is willing to be our only hope. Can I just read again the, the Advent reading from today? Jesus was willing. So here's what the Christmas story is all about. A willing Savior is born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there is no other way. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come to a broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh in all its frailty. He was willing to endure a disgraceful birth in a stable, and he was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in a fallen world. He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do the Father's will at every point. He was willing to serve when he deserved to be served. He was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would cause him personal harm. He is willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of his father's rejection. He was willing to die. Jesus was willing. He was a willing savior. He was willing. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. The Lord saw that there was no man that could intercede on our behalf. Then his own arm brought him salvation. He did it himself. I will intercede. I will become the sacrificial lamb. God says, in your hopelessness, I'm going to send you hope. I'm going to send Jesus. There's a problem, but there's a hope in a redeemer. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. There's hope. This idea of redeemer means to be purchased back 
We were purchased back when we were hopeless. The truth and the hope of Christmas is this. Jesus Christ was willing to enter into humanity, to live a life that we couldn't live, and to die a death that we should have died. He was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And all of the wrath that God has towards misaligned hearts, misguided minds, and multiplied transgressions was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be made right and redeemed. That's the hope of Christmas. There's a problem, but there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. My question is, do you know that hope? Do you hope for light, yet still walk in darkness? Are there things in your life that you know that shouldn't be there, that you've accepted, that you see as not that big of a sin? Would you change your mind? Would you repent? Would you fall before a loving, loving Savior who was willing to come? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons 